Tebow's released by the Jaguars. Hype around the rookie QBs is a little overstated. And the Deshaun Watson saga takes an interesting turn. The Valley Sports Talk begins right now. What's good, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Valley Sports Talk podcast brought to you by the Soundline Network. As always, I'm your host, Chris Valley. Hope you all are doing well and staying safe. So Tebow, released by Jacksonville. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little shocked. I'm also pretty bummed out about it, to be completely frank with y'all. I can't really wrap my head around why Urban Meyer would have ever brought Tim Tebow in if he wasn't going to keep him on. Now, I understand that Tebow missed a really, really bad block in the preseason game the other day, and it was ugly. It went all over social media. Everybody saw it, and I get that. And he had said part of the reason why he was released and wasn't kept on for special teams was because he doesn't have any tackling experience. Again, I get that. But then why bring him in? Like you as his coach, you coached him all through college. You know his skill set. You know what Tebow brings to the table. You also understand what he what he brings to the table off the field, the intangibles, the leadership, the likability factor that he has in the locker room. You had somebody, in my opinion, who even if you didn't play him necessarily all the time, you had a locker room presence, somebody who could really mentor Trevor Lawrence. And I thought that that was more important than anything else. Now, maybe Urban Meyer reaches back out to Tebow and says, hey, why don't you come back as an assistant? And he keeps him on the coaching staff to be that mentor for Trevor Lawrence. Maybe that's, that's somewhere down the pike. I don't know. Unless Trevor Lawrence just lights up the league, which all of us think he's going to do anyway. Maybe he doesn't need a mentor, so to speak. But I thought that part of the, part of the appeal of having Tebow on the, on the roster was mainly because of his locker room presence. The fact that he's somebody who can unite a locker room, bring a, a young team around somebody who is a veteran in the league. I understand it's been a while since Tebow was in the NFL, but it's not like he didn't have his ups and downs in the league. It's not like he doesn't have experience, playoff experience, and everything else. So when I heard that he was released, it's just, it doesn't make sense. At the end of the day, it really doesn't make sense. Of all the people, it would be one thing if Tebow went to, he decided he wanted to play tight end, and another team brought him on, a coach that never really worked with Tebow in the past, has no experience working with Tebow, and just like, you know what, screw it. Let's give Tebow a shot. Why not? Again, Urban Meyer knew what Tim Tebow brought to the table from, from the get-go. So I'm, I'm just, I don't understand the play here from, from Meyer. I really don't. I think it's a little callous, and I, I think it's kind of messed up. Now, I'm not saying that, that you know, Tebow has to be on, on the roster because you brought him on. That's not what I'm saying, and I know it sounds that way. I'm not saying, look, if Tebow is really, really that bad, like that, that bad, like just a deplorable player, then yes, you have to cut him. But again, you knew what he brought to the table when you signed when you when you brought him in. You knew the hype that was going to come around him too, because it's Tim Tebow. Like it or not, and I know a lot of people aren't Tim Tebow fans out there, but like it or not, Tim Tebow is one of the most popular athletes in the country. And the guy doesn't even he's not even an active athlete anymore. But he just he's always had this media buzz around him. And this is the other part of the story that I think is is pretty gross, is the way that the media has reacted. To, uh, to Tim Tebow getting cut. I mean, first it was, it was the whole Tim Tebow getting signed and how, or not signed, but being brought in by Jacksonville and by Urban Meyer and how this was the embodiment of white privilege, which is a joke. 
And now that he's being cut, people are still bringing out the white privilege thing, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, we we really have reached a point, and I talked about this last week on this podcast when it comes to race and the the obsession in in just media in general, but specifically sports media because that's what I'm talking about right now. It you know the demand for racism continues to outstrip the supply, and it's true. It's like the these media members are just so desperate to constantly bring race to into their arguments to try and remain relevant. And there is no relevance specifically when you talk about white privilege here because the guy got cut. It's not like Tim Tebow got a roster spot. He didn't get a roster, a final roster spot. He got cut. So your arguments about white privilege go out the window, even though Stephen A. Smith and Shannon Sharp, both on competing networks, were still arguing the same point, which was that, well, he got more opportunity. I've seen him get more opportunities than, than, than some black athletes. Well, explain this to me because the according to – studies that I've seen online, uh, both done by ESPN and by other sports networks, the NFL is 70.1% African-American or black. The NBA is 80.1% black. So what black athletes out there aren't getting opportunities in, in those two specific sports, in the NFL and in the, in the NBA? Which, which black athletes are, are being pushed out because of white guys? Because the, your, your argument, again, it doesn't hold water because it's not statistically relevant. You can't, even, you can't even back up your claims with any type of facts. You're holding on to a narrative that doesn't exist anymore. Now, I'm not saying that this didn't happen 20, 30 years ago. But now, in the present, that's not the case anymore. You can't make a white privilege argument when the guy didn't even make the roster, but yet they're still doing that. And it's not just that. It's people are celebrating the fact that Tim Tebow is out of the league. Why? He's one of the nicest guys out there. You know, say what you want about him. You can, you can not like him as an, as an athlete per se, but as a human being, it's really hard to find another athlete that's, that's a better person than Tim Tebow. He's philanthropic. He has been his entire life. He's extremely selfless. He's one hell of a teammate. Everybody who, who's ever been around him in a locker room loves him. So why would you celebrate somebody like that getting kicked out of the league? And why has he garnered more criticism since he got brought, since Urban Meyer brought him in than Deshaun Watson? Think about that. I'm going to bring up Deshaun Watson later in this podcast. It has nothing to do with the Tim Tebow thing, but, but I am going to bring Deshaun Watson up for this one point. Think about the amount of topics that you've seen since he's been accused of sexual assault by over 20 women. How many people have criticized Deshaun Watson compared to how many segments you've seen on these sports shows or listened to on sports talk radio about the issues people have had with Tim Tebow? That's And it's insane. More people are upset or were upset with the fact that Tim Tebow may possibly get a roster spot than that Deshaun Watson had could potentially be, be charged or found guilty of sexually assaulting over 20 women. That's how messed up the, the sports zeitgeist is at this point, where people are, are more concerned, again, with trying to race bait than they are about actual morality. And that's a problem. So overall, look, I'm bummed out about the Tim Tebow thing. I, I really, truly cannot wrap my head around the whole point of Urban Meyer bringing him in. 
Again, you knew what you had with him when he came in the door. You knew what his skill set was going to be. And you still brought him in anyway and then turn around and cut him. I mean, look, I know you can make the argument of, well, you know, Urban believed that he's a great athlete and he thought that maybe he could work with Tebow, develop his skills to become a decent enough tight end where he could be, you know, he could be a, an, an okay placeholder. If somebody went down with an injury, he could then step in. He just never got to that level. Okay, fine, you can make that argument, but still, as a as a locker room presence, as a mentor for Trevor Lawrence, I think it made a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. And to just turn around and just cut him like that, especially with with the media, you knew what the media storm was going to be after the fact. So I don't know. It just it bumps me out. I was really looking forward to seeing Tebow in the league again, even if it was just a one and done type deal. He was only going to play for this year. It still would have been a really cool story. But, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, honestly, the, just the, the way that the media has reacted to this, though, is just, it's, it's just appalling. It really, truly is. These rookie QBs is on another level. Uh, and frankly, I think it's completely overblown. Again, guys, these are preseason games. I, I, they're, most of these QBs are playing against third string or practice squad defenses. So the fact that everybody's losing their minds, especially in the Justin Fields case, you guys really need to take a shower and relax because Justin Fields is not going to be successful in the NFL. I'm never going to change my mind on that. Uh, so anybody out there who thinks Justin Fields is the next Deshaun Watson or the next Patrick Mahomes really needs to take a deep breath and remember that this is preseason. Okay, it's preseason football. Anyway, so there's a, uh, I've been seeing it all over social media, Twitter, Facebook. There's a, a Facebook page that I follow. It's like, I think it's called Sports Savages or something like that. And they're, they're constantly putting up posts, like trying to get people to engage and into debate. And they, they brought up the stats of, of the, the five rookie QBs and, oh, who, who had the better, the better, um, the better week one preseason games and, and who, who showed the most promise and all that stuff. And everybody is like just, just like attacking each other about their, their decisions. And I'm sitting there going, guys, it's preseason. Who the hell cares? Like none of this matters. It really doesn't. It's preseason. They're not playing real defenses. So the fact that people, again, are losing their minds. I mean, look, you can kind of get a feel for if they, if they can throw the football if they can move in the pocket, if they have decent pocket presence. But outside of that, there's really no reason to get all hyped up about it. No one in the preseason has proven that they're going to be a superstar in the league. And if, and if you listen to, to analysts and they're trying to claim that, they're full of shit. There is nothing that you're seeing in this preseason that's going to determine whether or not this guy is going to be a superstar. Because if that's the case, then Justin Fields is going to be Patrick Mahomes. If this week one preseason game meant anything, the guy completed 12 or 14 passes in a row, if that's the case, then yes, Justin Fields is the second coming of Pat Mahomes. That that would be what, what this preseason game one showed us. Even though when you look and you see who he was throwing against, it was second, third, and practice squad player, players on defense. So again, let's kind of, can, can we try and simmer it down a little bit? Now, I will say this. Mac Jones looked decent in New England, and I am not a Mac Jones fan. If you listen to this podcast, I was really, really upset with New England for drafting him. I thought it was a stupid move. I I looked at it as Bill Belichick only drafted him because Nick Saban is his best friend, and Saban told him to take the guy. He actually had, he looked like he had some decent pocket presence. I'm still hoping that Cam Newton still has 
a little bit of something special left in him and and he'll be able to harken back to his MVP type days back from a few years ago. I just it would it would just be a bummer if Cam Newton just completely sucks now. Trey Lance had an okay debut, it wasn't anything spectacular. He did throw a, a nice touchdown pass, uh, but he got sacked a few times. Same thing with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence didn't have the greatest debut either. He fumbled the ball on his first snap and you know, he got sacked a few times too. But look, it, again, it's preseason. So all these people that are getting hyped up about the first game of the preseason, take a deep breath, y'all. It's not that big of a deal. The only thing that we know for certain is that the Dallas Cowboys and their fans are holding their breath right now because of Prescott. It Something's going on, guys. I'm telling you right now, there is something going on with that shoulder. The fact that they were talking to the Texas Rangers about having some of their people come out and take a look at his shoulder... That's some real shit. There is, there's something wrong here. I understand he had an MRI. I understand that he's back to practice now because the MRI was positive. All this other junk. There is something up with his shoulder. And if you're a Cowboy fan, you have got to be losing your mind. Now, I know a lot of people were celebrating the fact that Prescott got his money. I believe Prescott should have gotten paid after this season. Again, he was coming off of an injury. You don't know what you're going to get from him coming off of an injury. Why you would pay him or why you would give in made absolutely no sense to me. The Cowboys had all the leverage in the world, all the leverage in the world, and they gave in to Prescott. Dak Prescott fan over here, remember this, folks. I am a Prescott fan, but you should not have paid him yet. And now if he is not 75 to 80%, Coming into this season, the Cowboys are in a heap of trouble. A heap of trouble. Because I believe that the Giants are going to be good this year and Washington is going to be decent. So if the Cowboys don't have Dak Prescott, the Cowboys are not going to be a playoff team. And then it's going to be another year in which the Cowboys continue to underperform and do not meet expectations. Because on paper, if Prescott can play, the Cowboys easily have a top three to top five offense in football. They might even have the best offense in football with all of their weapons. And if Prescott can play like he did at the beginning of of last season when he was in MVP contention, there is no question that the Cowboys are going to be an elite offense. But without Dak Prescott, they're screwed. They are 100% screwed. So I've... Good luck, Cowboys fans. I, uh, that's all I can say is if you're a Cowboy fan right now, you got to be shaking your head and you've got to be hoping and praying that this whole thing is just a sore shoulder or maybe he was overcompensating for not playing for all that time. You better hope that that's what it is because if there's something lingering this season, y'all are screwed. <laughs> So here's where the Deshaun Watson story is is getting very interesting. Tony Busby, who is the attorney that is representing the women who accused Watson of sexual assault and sexual harassment, or at least 12 of the women, has come out and said that the FBI has now gotten involved. Now, the FBI has come out and said, you know, we cannot confirm or deny that if, you know, that we are involved in an ongoing investigation, which, you know, that's that's what they're always going to say. However, so here's here's why I think this is very interesting, because If it is true that the FBI is involved and if if the women were making this up, Busby would would pretty much be telling his clients, 
um, okay, look, the the charade's over. The FBI is now involved. They're going to find out eventually that you're not being upfront and honest. You guys could go to you guys could go to jail for a long, long time. Because now, now, now the FBI is getting involved in this. So that's why I think that this is true. Number one. Number two. I think that Busby knows that the women that he's working with, that he's dealing with, are not only telling the truth, but they've got to have some sort of dirt on Watson. They have to have some sort of corroborating evidence that's going to get him. Because why else would you bring this up? Even if he's lying, even if Busby is making it up, the fact that you're now bringing the FBI into focus here means that that you know something or you have something on Watson. Because you wouldn't just bring out the FBI or mention the FBI in passing if you weren't confident enough that you had enough dirt on Watson to win your case. It just it wouldn't make sense. You, your job is to represent the client to the best of your ability. You wouldn't be doing that if you didn't have something against Watson. Now, Rusty Harden, who is Watson's attorney, has already said, you know, I'm not going to believe in the spin by Tony Busby. There's no reason for me to believe that the FBI is involved. Well, you better start getting nervous, pal, because where the, I've said this before, where there is smoke, there is fire, and I think there is something here. Watson is in trouble. Now, I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know how long the process is going to take. We may see Watson on the football field this year, which I still think is insane. He should be on the commissioner's exempt list as far as I'm concerned. But this also brings me to another thing when I'm bringing the media back into this. I found this article on OutKick. It wasn't on ESPN. It wasn't on Bleacher Report. It wasn't on CBS News or CBS Sports, excuse me. It wasn't anywhere, Fox Sports, anywhere on a major sports site. It was on OutKick, which is like a third-party site. It's run by Clay Travis. I've talked about him before. The fact that the media isn't covering this at all and has kind of put this on the back burner is a little disconcerting. Like, this is a massive, massive sports story, and nobody wants to cover it. And that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense that nobody is is discussing this. This should be something that, that you see on First Take and on Undisputed. This is a big deal. The fact that the FBI could potentially be involved in this case, that this case has gotten that big, where the FBI is now stepping in, now, again, they can't we can't corroborate whether or not they actually are involved, but even the hint that they could be involved makes this a massive story, and nobody wants to talk about it. But they want to trash Tim Tebow as he's no longer in the, full, in, in the league, but nobody seems to have an issue with the fact that Deshaun Watson is reported, you know, reported to training camp two weeks ago and is on the roster for the Houston Texans. Nobody seems bothered by that, which is fascinating. How far we've come from the whole Me Too movement to now all of a sudden it's, well, we're only, we're only up, upset or really concerned or we're really going to discuss it when it comes to certain athletes, but other athletes, we're just going to kind of keep it on the back burner until we know more. And again, I have been somebody who said, let's wait for all the evidence to come out before we completely admonish Deshaun Watson here. But where there's smoke, there's fire. There is something going on here. And all I can say is I would not want to be Deshaun Watson right now. So the NFL is continuing to turn into the no fun league. And 
they're they're trying to crack down on the the excessive celebration thing. And I get that. I do. I think some of it, some of the stuff that they do is ridiculous. Like we don't need, you don't need to be celebrating after every time you catch a football or every time you throw a pass or every time you make a decent run, you don't need to be showboating every time. And I get that. But when you do something as great as the undrafted rookie running back for the Indianapolis Colts did in his first preseason game where he carried a pile over 12 yards, I think it was 12 or 13 yards, he carries a pile of defensive players and gets up and does like a little flex after doing that, which is completely justified. It was an awesome play, again, by a rookie undrafted player, and the ref throws a flag for taunting. Like, give me a break. That's not taunting. He wasn't looking at anybody. He was looking out at the camera, flexing at the camera. The ref throws the flag. That's excessive. And I'm not just saying it because it's the Colts. I'm saying it for anybody. Like, if you make a spectacular play, if you, you know, make a one-handed grab over two defenders as a receiver and you want to get up and you want to say something or you kind of want to flex a little bit or spin the football, that's understandable. That's justified. You just made a spectacular play. What I'm okay with is if you decide that you want to throw the flag on Zeke after he runs the ball for like seven yards and gets up and does the stupid feed me thing because he got a first down on a seven yard run like that's that's stupid if you're if you're just constantly showboating and celebrating and after every player after every tackle or whatever it may be yes I'm fine with you getting rid of that but like if you make a a massive sack on third down and you want to get up and you want to flex a little bit there's nothing wrong with that. Like the, again, you you need to you need to create a boundary, create a line, and just say, look, this is excessive. This isn't excessive. But don't just start throwing the flag after every time somebody celebrates, because emotions are going to get the better of them. And especially when it comes to playoff time, somebody makes a massive play in a playoff game, and then you're going to throw the flag and completely negate that play. That could be a potentially game-winning play. That's where we're going to start having issues. So the NFL really needs to rein this in, and they need to do it now. Like, And I understand it's the preseason. I understand it's the first week of the preseason. So maybe the league comes down on those refs and says, hey, look, you know, this is the line. We're not going to completely crush out or stomp out, rather, I should say, everyone from celebrating. It's got to be let's, let's try and keep them from celebrating after every little play. But again, don't 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 ruin this. Okay? Don't don't do what you've done in the past NFL. Like just stop. And the refs suck anyway. So the fact that we're we're bringing the refs into this even more than they already are is a problem. We have enough issues in the NFL when it comes to officiating. We don't need to be throwing more laundry on the field as it is. We've had issues over the past few years with excessive laundry and now you're going to do it even more when it comes to people celebrating after a massive play. This is foolish and it's dumb. You guys are the best sport in the country. You are the most popular sport in the country. Stop ruining the product. Stop making it more dramatic than it needs to be. Stop adding more issues, throwing more logs on the fire. We don't need more logs on the fire. We need less logs on the fire. We need a little bit more fun. And again, are you going to start, are you going to do excessive celebrating in the end zone? You make a game winning touchdown. That's the other thing. 
someone makes a game-winning touchdown pass or a touchdown reception, I should say, in the end zone, and they start losing their minds, you're going to throw a flag? You're going to throw a flag and negate that? Like, where's the line drawn? Once again, the NFL has implemented a new rule, and they haven't done anything to really explain the rule properly. They're just deciding, well, we're going to cut back. We want to see less excessive celebrating, so we're just going to start throwing flags. Oh, wonderful. So now we have another issue in the league, the same thing we had with the catches for years and years and years. Now we're going to have a, a, depending on the ref that you get that night, that's going to determine whether or not somebody's excessively celebrating or not. It's just, it's all stupid, and it's, it's going to be completely subjective depending on the ref, depending on the night, depending on the team, depending on the player. It's just, it's going to be a nightmare. So I understand it's week one of the preseason, so hopefully the league will, will kind of talk to the refs and say, hey, look, this is what we're looking for. This is not what we're looking for. And maybe we'll see a consistency thing, but I think this is just going to end up being a nightmare and another conversation that we're going to have all season long about the, the refs throwing more laundry on the damn field that doesn't need to be there. So for the last word segment this week, I want to talk about my trip to Cooperstown. I made an impromptu trip up to the Baseball Hall of Fame. A uh, buddy of mine was getting married in upstate New York, and Cooperstown was about a half hour away from where I was staying, so I thought I would take the day out of work, get up there really early, and uh, check it out. I've, I've never been up in upstate New York at all, and I wanted to take the opportunity to uh, to check out some uh, a, a, a sports hallmark that I've, I've always wanted to go to. Now, I talked about this briefly on Spaceball episode 11 of season two. Y'all should check it out. It's currently available wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, so I'm going to do that again. I'm going to be a little bit more descriptive, though, than I was, or try to be a little bit more descriptive than I was in on the Spaceball Pod. So you guys, if you guys do listen to that, you're not going to hear exactly the same story. So I got up there early, and I loved everything about Cooperstown. Everything about the area, small town feel, the vibe, the people, everything was just awesome. There's uh, So where the Hall of Fame is, there's just a strip of shops and restaurants, diners, bakery, everything you could want. It's all in walking distance. And what's really cool when you go into the hall is that they, they stamp you as soon as you walk in and they say, hey, come and go as you please. The hall closes at 7 o'clock. So you can go in early, check out maybe one floor, leave, go get something to eat, come back, go shopping, you know, do whatever you want. And it, it's an all-day event, which is really, really neat. I think it's awesome. And it also, it's a smart business move because you're also, and economically speaking, it's a smart move because you're helping out all of the all of the other shops and restaurants and stuff that are on that strip by allowing people to come and go as they please, as often as they want. So I ended up, um, I ended up going to breakfast first, went to this really awesome diner. The people there were great. My waitress was awesome. They were very friendly telling me, they could, it, it's, it's that small town feel where you walk in and they know you're not from around here. And that, I, I thought that was really cool. Like I walked in, they're like, oh, so where are you from? Explained where I was from, said what I was doing there. And they're like, oh, and they just were outlining everything I needed to check out while I was there. And they even said, 
if this is your first time to the Hall of Fame, you're not going to get everything done in one day. It's just, it's impossible. There's so much to see. There's so much to do. So these are the things that we would recommend that you check out while you're here for the first time. And then you'll just have to come back and check everything else out. So anyway, I walked into the Hall of Fame and immediately I was just taken aback by everything. I mean, it's just, it's so cool. As, as a fan of baseball, as somebody who, that was my first love. Baseball was my first love as far as sport, team sports goes was baseball it's it's what my dad and I watched when I was a kid I still watch it now obviously but that's really where my dad and I bonded was through baseball so the entire time I'm walking through the hall especially when I got to the specific Yankee lore and, and the history of the Yankees and all the stuff that through the years obviously and just thinking back to my dad and I talking about the Yankees and him talking to me about the players that he watched growing up and and me he and I bonding over watching the Yankees win all those championships in the late 90s and early 2000s and me watching Jeter who was getting inducted into the hall this year they had a plaque up there uh for Jeter um not his actual placard that will that he'll get when he gets inducted but they had like this little shrine for him they, they had the same thing for for everybody else who's getting inducted in this year too but that was just it was emotional I I, I definitely had some emotions going just kind of having everything just just hit me all at once of you know I'm finally here this is and it was an experience immediately that I said I have to come back with my dad like this is something that I have to experience with him too because I think he would enjoy it just as much as I did so I spent about two and a half hours I hit all three floors I I went through it relatively quickly because again, I wanted to see as much as I could possibly see in, in the two and a half hours time span that, that I had for myself. So there were some things that I glossed over, some things I spent more time with than others. Obviously, everything in the hall that had to do with the Yankees, I spent the most of my time. But I also spent a lot of time, they, they had a Hank Aaron section, which was absolutely just beautiful, the way that they set it up. And Austin and I had talked about it, and he asked me, oh, well, is it because of, of the anniversary this year for Hank Aaron? Is that why they set it up? And, and I, I truly didn't know because they didn't have any type of, any, any type of um, explanation as to if this was just specifically built up for this particular year and then they were going to tear it down or not. It just looked like it was a part of the hall, and I, I think that because of, of the greatness of Hank Aaron, I, I do think that it's just a normal part of the museum. But that part was incredible. The Jackie Robinson aspect of it was really cool too. They had, um, and they also had a thing for Willie Mays, which those were outside of the Yankee stuff. That was really where I spent the majority of my time. And then there was a few things about the Red Sox too that I did spend a lot of stuff on Ted Williams, which was interesting, obviously. And yeah, so I mean, it's it just, it, the Hall of Fame is just, there's so much to do. There's so much to see. And I would recommend to anybody who has the opportunity to, to drive up to Cooperstown, it's such a beautiful place to go. Obviously, I wouldn't go up in the winter. It's upstate New York. The snow, it's probably freezing up there. I, definitely not a, not a winter trip. But in the springtime, in the summertime, and in the fall, uh, the foliage up there has got to be absolutely incredible. So if you do have the opportunity to go, know that it's a definitely a day trip. You could there's plenty of hotels too nearby so like if you wanted to stay overnight and go back and and hit it up again in the morning before you head home or whatever you want to do there's there's just enough to do there though to to make it a full day 
Whether it's you want to go shopping, you want to try out some restaurants too, or you just want to spend the entire, you know, eight, six, seven hours just walking through the Hall of Fame because you could spend six to seven hours walking through that hall. I mean, there truly is that much to do. They had a movie that also they were going to play, and it's it's about an 18-minute-long movie, which I wanted to check out, but I also didn't want to waste my time watching a movie this time out. So that'll be something I'll have to see next time, but it's, it's all about the history of baseball. And that was one of the things that the, the people at the diner did tell me that I should check out if I had time. They said, you know, they, it runs every half hour usually. And they're like, you know, if you have some time or extra time and you want to check out, you should check out that movie because it is really cool. Again, I, did, I didn't want to spend any time wasting any time sitting down watching a movie. Um, but th- that'll definitely be something that I do check out. And then the last thing I'll say is when you go on the first floor, because they, they tell you when you walk in to do the second floor first, the third floor second, and then you finish on the first floor because that's where, that's where the actual placards are up from all the inductees. And let me tell you that when you walk in that room, if you're a true blue baseball fan, it is just completely overwhelming the greatness that that you just you're you're surrounded by and when you just take the time and you're reading some of of the accomplishments of these players it's it's just it's unreal it's unbelievable and look i'm sure people who are diehard basketball fans who go to springfield or if you're a diehard nfl fan and you go to canton you feel the exact same way it's just you know, you, you have such a strong fandom for the sport and such a respect and, and admiration for, for all the players in, in the history of the game. And, and you're, you're now a part of it. You're walking through and you're, you're experiencing again, or maybe not again, maybe for the first time you're experiencing the history and the lore of the game. And it's just, it was just an awesome experience. That's really all I can say about it. I don't want to be too wordy here. But again, if you have the opportunity to go, check it out. It's an incredible experience. I I can't recommend it highly enough. All right, everybody, that's going to do for this week's edition of the podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning and listening. I greatly appreciate it. Please be sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, we have plenty of other podcasts for you from the network, including Spaceball, Richo's Rant, Drinks with Dan, and of course, Richo and Lala. That is it. That's all I have for you this week. I hope you all be well and stay safe. Talk to you all again soon.